0: Redemption City. So good to see all of you here. Um, Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, um, beginning in verse 16 through verse 26. This is on page 916 of the pew, the Bible's in the pew backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and need one, please feel free to take one of these home with you today. Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry,
1: Well, I went towards the end of my sermon prep time to see like, hey, how do other pastors handle this text? And uh, most of them take four weeks to do it, <laughs> but we have one. So no stories, no fun intros. We're just going to get straight into it. Let me, <clears throat> let me pray. Father, we come before your word so grateful that you would uh, put it down on paper for us, so grateful that you made a way for us to know you, be filled with your spirit. So these aren't just words, but they're living and active. Would you protect the church from anything I say that is unhelpful or not of you, and would you just call us into this beautiful life with the Spirit and see this fruit more and more in our lives? Amen. Well, today is somewhat of a huge shift in our series through the book of Galatians, uh, where we're looking at Paul's conclusions and some of the application to the argument that he's been making for the past four chapters. Uh, We've been beating the drum for almost three months now that when it comes to our standing before God... And our justification, Jesus plus anything equals false gospel. But as some of you have said to me, as we've talked about sermons and stuff through over the the last you know over the winter, uh, yes, I believe it. I'm not arguing with that. I see those super convicting forms of false righteousness that Mike and Sebastian point out that that lurk in my heart, but. What, what do I do? How? how what, what do I do about it? How do I live? Do I just hope someday the the false righteousness, the slavery type behavior, uh, just magically goes away? Uh, well, I'm so glad you asked because that is what Paul is addressing in our text today. And the main point of the text for us this morning is <clears throat> the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love and empowers us to have good relationships. When it comes to the life of a Jesus follower, the thing, the main metric, is the quality of our relationships. Pete Scazzaro says, make love the measure of maturity. To place our text in the context of Paul's arguments, we see, we see this reality. So after all this like theological, uh, historical, Old Testament unpacking, our text here is bookended, with, the, with these words, look first in the first bookend, in, uh, starting in verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So at verse 15, that's our one, one bookend. But if you bite and devour one another, it was a weird passage. But then skip down to verse 26. This is the other bookend. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying, envying one another. So the entire passage that we're going to talk about today is Paul's attempt to deal with the relationship breakdown and discord in the church in Galatia that 's what that 's what Paul is trying to address with these words. One commentator says it summarizes it like this: These conflicts were caused by the false teachers campaign to enforce the observance of the law in the churches. That was the main jesus plus law observance. that was the main plus Jesus. Equation. The curse on all who rely upon observing the law in chapter 3, verse 10, was already being experienced in the tragic breakdown of relationships between Christians. While they concentrated on performing works of the law, their lives were characterized by works of the flesh, especially these eight areas of social conflict that we'll get to when we get to that scary list of, of flesh stuff. So Paul's answer to this drift away from the gospel and the resulting relational breakdown is to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, experience the freedom we have in the gospel to be transformed by the Spirit as the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives that result in good relationships. And my pastoral aim, the ache of my heart that has kept me up this week is that we would have just a, a really sweet, fresh awareness of the gift of the Holy Spirit and practical steps in which we can set up our lives to be led by Him. If you're here today, and after you know, being in church for years, preaching the gospel to yourself, knowing the stuff, knowing the doctrines, you feel a little stuck, or what used to work doesn't seem to be working anymore, the same emotions, the same besetting sins, I, I hope to encourage you today that Scripture unpacks an incredible reality of what the, the daily, regular life of a Jesus follower looks like. So let's dive in, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. So let's start by defining our terms, starting with who is the Holy Spirit? I feel like we just got to acknowledge that this is tragic reality in our current moment in the church where there's so much baggage and conflict that exists around the Holy Spirit. Who's the one who's meant to unite God's people in love? We've, we, we've managed to, to draw tribes and, and lines all, all around him. And, and, but we got to acknowledge that probably some of us here in this room have baggage from being in gatherings of Christians where the Holy Spirit stuff was uncomfortable or maybe even unbiblical or seemed forced. And so that's you, if you have some baggage, my invitation for you today is to be courageous and, and just consider what the Bible says about the third member of the Trinity, and, and consider letting the Bible begin to form our baseline for how we understand and relate to the Spirit instead of our experiences or our fear of it getting out of hand or too, you know, too crazy. So I'm calling this part of the sermon, Have You Met the Holy Spirit? do a little, little, very brief intro. He's a person, he's not a force. He is God, he's a member of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. He is a vital player, has an essential role in God's plan of redemption, his work of salvation in all of our lives to regenerate us, to sanctify us. I think a really helpful word, or a three-word phrase for understanding who the Holy Spirit is comes from New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, who describes the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. Like, you could just crawl in that and explore that for the rest of your life. God's empowering presence. And on one hand, it might seem kind of, oh yeah, that's nice and inappropriate. Until you you think about the fact that if we're not close with or comfortable with the Holy Spirit, then it would seem that we're going to be limited in the degree to which we're experiencing God's empowering presence. Like, it's not like, The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence for the Pentecostals and then Reformed people. We have the Bible, so we don't need him or whatever. The Holy Spirit is the way that we interact with God on this side of Jesus' return. There's so much, obviously, that we could say about the Holy Spirit, but let's look at two things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, uh, Jesus is his farewell discourse. He just said to the disciples he's about to go back to the Father, and he says this, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if you do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. According to Jesus, it is better that we have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus physically present with us. That's a huge statement from our king. One that like, makes me, when I consider my church background and my experience with the Holy Spirit, really want to like, dive into this, this, this new frontier. How can I relate to him? How is that better? Like, gun to my head, I would say I would take Jesus in the flesh over the Holy Spirit, but Jesus has a different opinion. One other thing that has been like a light bulb for me when I looked at some of the, the, the stuckness that I felt, the, how slow I was to grow as a loving person, is Acts eight. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, leaving the disciples alone before the Holy Spirit has come, he says this: "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The question that, that makes me ask it: like to what degree have I experienced this power? Is my mark, life marked by a supernatural power, not like Harry Potter, not like we're like riding a wave of glory into heaven with no pain or suffering or confusion, but you know, it's, a, it's a supernatural power like a peace that surpasses understanding, a, a steady joy in the face of suffering, a, a, a delightful sacrificial love, self-control that might seem monastic and crazy to the world around us, the people in our culture. And then look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The, the sad thing is, some of us might be scared or uneasy with the Holy Spirit, even as like right now, Christian, he dwells in your body. as a gift Jesus gave to you. And Paul makes this really clear in the context of Galatians back in chapter 3. This is a result of the Holy Spirit is a result of the gospel. Galatians 3:13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the Spirit is this gift, this, this treasure, the presence of God that Jesus died so we can experience. Like, yes, Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. Yes and amen. But it's because in our sin we're cut off from God's empowering presence. And now through Jesus' his atoning blood, his washing us clean of sin by being hung on a tree for us, we have God's empowering presence in our bodies. The next term we've got to unpack is the flesh. Super broadly used word in the New Testament. Uh, it's used some, some are good ways, some are bad ways, some are just neutral. Uh, and sometimes it simply means our physical bodies. Uh, and, and Paul already has used the word flesh in Galatians uh, 2.20 uh, to just to mean the physical body. He says, And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me he means like i'm living now in my in the flesh and i'm right, right here like we're not in the matrix this is real we have a physical body but then even more mind blowing is john 1:14 that says and the word jesus became flesh and dwelt among us we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth Jesus took on flesh, took on human nature, a physical body to show us God's glory. So flesh, but flesh can also mean sin nature. And that's how it's being used here in our sermon text. Jesus, we've got to make distinctions, right? Because Jesus was without sin. He had a fully human nature, but he did not have a sin nature. That's an important distinction to make. Like, we're not sinful just by virtue of being human, but we're we're sinful in our fallen humanity, that we're all born with the curse, with sin. In our passage here, Paul is talking about the sin nature, life apart from God. And the first three verses that we just read, they show us the relationship between the spirit and the flesh, or sin nature. And that relationship is that they are completely separate ways of being. Verse 16 is an imperative and a promise. Walk by the spirit, that's the imperative, and you will not indulge the desires, gratify the desires of the flesh. You can think of it like an operating system on a computer. If you're running Mac OS, you cannot run programs made for Microsoft, and of course Microsoft is the flesh in this example, because like, you know Apple is a is a fruit, right? It's a fruit. Just kidding. Steve Jobs was crazy. But Paul's command, Paul's command to walk by the Spirit is like saying, if you're running Mac OS, you're you're not going to have Microsoft programs running. It just like it just doesn't compute. Uh, viruses that can get to Microsoft can't get to. Uh, a computer running a different operating system. Now, I got to hold myself back uh, from going into Paul's teaching on the flesh from Romans 7. In my walk with Jesus, one of the most helpful passages. Uh, But in that passage, Paul's talking about this battle that goes on inside the life of the heart, the soul of every Christian, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Super helpful. But most Scholars would say that Galatians 5 was written before Paul wrote Romans 7. Uh, and one commentator pointed out when you, when, that a lot of people interpret Galatians 5 assuming that the Galatian church who was reading it in the original context, they, they had already read Romans 7, like they had that in hand, but that wasn't the case. So to be true to this text, right, I think we've got to see that Paul's emphasis is not so much on the battle in the life of an individual Jesus follower. though That is a real thing, and I would love to talk about it, but we don't have time. Instead, his emphasis is on the immovable dis- distinction between ways of being, ways of living, operating systems, in the flesh, walking in the, in the spirit. They're like different realities, different kingdoms that are opposed to each other. And verse 17 says, because there's this opposition, we're kept from doing the things we want to do. And You can read that two ways. It could mean, does that mean we are unable to do the good that we want to do? Uh, The Spirit's inside of us, and we want to do good, but we can't because the flesh is opposing us. That has some really strong Romans 7 vibes going on. You know, I I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Or does it mean because we have the Spirit, the desires of our flesh are checked, hindered, opposed. So the fleshly desires, the sinful desires, do not have free reign in the life of a Spirit-filled Jesus follower. I mean, they're still there. They still have... So we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, but they don't have free reign. Well, I think verse 18 shows us the answer, that it's the second one. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We've got to unpack that, because we were just talking about the Spirit and the flesh and this opposition. Now, Paul is bringing in the law, which is what he's been talking about for like four chapters. And it's because the Spirit replaces the law's role in controlling the flesh, the verb in the Greek translated being led has this sense of submission and control. It's the same verb used in Luke 22 when it says the soldiers arrested Jesus and led him away. It's like they're in control. And Paul has already described the control of the law in similar terms back in chapter 3 when he says the laws are guardian." But while the law exercised control as like our guardian to try to put some like, boundaries on how we interact and how we relate and stuff like that, let us know what's good and what's, what's bad, it could not give life or transform character. And so Paul is depicting an alternative kind of control. The control of the spirit that can give life and can transform our character. Verse 18 is the answer to the question, that I think we all have, and I'm sure Paul got all the time whenever he's talking about how the law has no benefit for those who are in Christ. Like, we're not under the law. What's that question? Does that mean I can do anything that I want? And the answer is no. But instead of having an impersonal law to try to submit to on our own, we now have the spirit of Christ, Roman, the next chapter will say here, God's empowering presence, God with us, who is in us, and we can submit to him and allow him to lead us, reveal truth to us through scripture, convict us of sin, and lead us to love in ways that we never thought of before and never had the capacity to do before. So let's look at these two operating systems here, starting in uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So a couple points to make about the flesh operating system. One, this list is not exhausted. exhausted. You know, Paul clearly was a pastor. He said and things like these at the end. Because if he didn't, then you would be like, well, if I avoid those, I can come up with my own brand of sin. That's okay. Uh, but instead, he's just trying to describe with 15 words or terms a type of behavior, a way of being in the world. Another thing we see in this list that's very important to know in our cultural moment is that this list is not just all like bodily things or bodily appetites. So we have like sex... Uh, Sexual sin and like bodily things, indulgence, drunkenness, whatnot. Um, But eight of the 15 are more like mental, emotional, relational things that happen internally. Meaning, like, we can have no hint of sexual morality or never touch a drop of alcohol in our life and be like, you know, deeply immersed in over half of this list. And that's a big deal. Like, this, this shows that the Bible's teaching on the flesh and the spirit is not talking about the like, immaterial and the material. Like, the, our bodies are bad and the spirit is good. That's not a category that the body or that the Bible has. And the eight middle things are the enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. These are relational things. If you're like me, when I read this list, you know my mind, my attention goes to the big scandalous stuff, you know, sexual morality and sorcery. What does that mean? And of course, orgies. Are we saying that word in church, for, like for real, Paul? Uh, but and the stuff in the middle is just like, wait, if I like want a cooler bike, like it's in the same list as orgies. Like what what what's happening? What's going on here? But remember, Paul is trying to talk about broken relationships that he sees in the church, the biting and devouring each other, the provoking and envying each other, and the main theme for this entire list, I wish we could go into all of them, no time, is selfishness. Under the common denominator for this entire list is a focus on self, which is of course pretty much the cause of all relational breakdown. What drives us to these works of the flesh are the godless, frantic, striving to meet needs apart from the free gift of life with God through Jesus and the Spirit. What drives people to sexual immorality is getting comfort, approval, or significance from sex. What drives people to drunkenness would maybe be numbing the lack of comfort, approval, or significance that we have in our lives what causes fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions would probably be times when our comfort, approval, and significance are thwarted or hindered by someone in our sphere. And so it's you know, seek and destroy so I can get my needs met. Apart from life with God and the Spirit, the works of the flesh are the default. This is our default operating system. There's no choice. All of us apart from God, apart from God's uh, redeeming work, regenerating work through the Spirit, uh, this is what this is. Our, this is what we get. This is all we without God's empowering presence living inside of us. So, in light of that, if this is the default for people who are cut off from God, it's natural that Paul would conclude, like these folks do not ex- inherit the kingdom. They're they're not sons. They're not true heirs. They're not going to inherit life with God under His rule. Let's look at the contrasting list, the other operating system in verse twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ... Oops, we'll save that for next. Sorry. Got excited. So Paul titles this list the fruit of the Spirit, which is different than the word... He doesn't say the fruits of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh. And he calls these the fruits of the Spirit, an agricultural term. And this means that our posture towards the fruit of the Spirit should be like the posture of a farmer towards his crops. What can a farmer do directly to make a seed sprout, to produce food out of dirt? Nothing. It's a natural process that God has ordained, and just, it just happens. But of course, farmers work super hard, right? They, they sow the seeds, they water, they fertilize, cultivate the soil, all that farmer stuff. Because it's profound, if we're looking at all of Scripture, that all of these Holy Spirit-created fruit in our lives are also found elsewhere as commands. Like, you know, husbands, love your wives. Like, do, do, do I just, like, wait around until, like, the Holy Spirit just, like, animates me to love Camille, or do I, like, do some loving things, you know, in, in hopes that love is cultivated by the Spirit? Paul's main argument... Is that walking by the Spirit replaces the law, replaces the need for Torah observance, because the Spirit leads and guides us into love, which fulfills the law. And these other fruit, if you think about them, uh, love is the first one, it's kind of got the you know the, the the right-of-way there, but they're they're all you know other aspects of love or prerequisites or parts of love. And Paul's addressing relationships within the church. And just and, and it's important to note. Um, again, for the context, how much how much, all these fruit uh, are primarily, maybe, except maybe self-control, are prim- primarily expressed in the context of relationships. These are not first and foremost about the in- internal life of, of you and me as individual believers, but about the, the, the markers of a spirit-filled corporate life of a church family doing life together. And relationships is where the fruit of the spirit really is seen. Again, we could say, we say a lot about each word here, but there's, there, there's no time. So let me just say a brief word about love. Uh, it's kind of brief, sh- warning. Uh, because that's kind of Paul's main, main point in Galatians. Uh, just a few verses earlier in chapter 5 or 6, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That's like Torah observance. For Torah observance counts for nothing, but only faith working through love. And we've already read it before in, in uh, 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love this passage from Romans 5, where it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this connection, both in how we love others in the Spirit and how we receive God's love, not in that order, receive God's love and then love others, is directly connected to the Spirit. And I love that Romans 5 passage, this, this picture of God's limitless, infinite, reckless love, if we're allowed to say that word, being poured into our love-thirsty hearts by the Holy Spirit. God's very own presence of love given to us, dwelling in our bodies. And in order to truly love other people, love is something that we need to experience from God supernaturally in our hearts, like experientially. We need to know the facts in our minds, but we we need to uh, experience it ourselves because it's out of that love from God that we can love others the way he does. The Spirit is the way we receive God's love, as more than just an idea, as more than just words on the page If you struggle with feeling loved by God, consider your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So Paul concludes here with uh, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here's Paul's theological basis for the command and promise in verse 16. The command is walk by the Spirit, and the promise is, like, if you do that, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because if we belong to Christ, that means we've crucified the flesh with its passions. We have been crucified, and then we crucify the flesh. Some interesting verb, subject stuff going on there. Uh, But the common denominator of the works of the flesh is what? Selfishness. And here we see our sinful self has has been crucified crucified. This means that we're no longer slaves to self. It means that the flesh operating system is no longer our default. We can choose our operating system. Those who do not belong to Christ only have the one operating system. Their sinful flesh, sinful self has not been nailed to the cross. Freedom, of quarter, according to Scripture, does not mean that we do whatever we want to do. It, it means that we're now free. We're now given the God-given capacity to choose to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit instead of sowing to the flesh, as Paul will say in the next chapter. When Paul says let us keep in step with the spirit let him instruct us he's saying that it's it's up it's up to us to make ourselves available to this new reality we have two operating systems here as the saying goes without god we can't but without us god won't so clearly on our own we cannot experience the fruit of the spirit but just as clear clearly from the imperatives that book into this text walk by the spirit keep in step with the spirit his it shows us that we have a role to play, just like the farmer. We get up off the metaphorical couch and we walk by the spirit, we pay attention to him. We keep in step with him. Like if you know, you're trying to walk with someone, like, think how closely you like, look at their steps and try to match their steps. At the end of the day, I mean, there's so many analogies. We already talked about farming. I'd you know, cut all my darlings from this manuscript. but the sailboat analogy is the most classic one. Uh, I think I have a pretty picture of a boat where I wish I was this weekend. Um, but if you're going to sail a boat, what can you do to make the wind blow? Nothing. You're helpless to sail the boat by yourself. If you don't get the boat in the water, make sure it's not leaking. Raise the sail. Know how to sail. Like I don't know how to sail. <laughs> you know, know how to raise the sail. You will not go anywhere, no matter how the wind blows. Do you see the both and? The, and at the end of the day, this is relational, right? Like we aren't just blobs on the couch waiting for this unilateral, like you know, download to come from the spirit. Like we're engaging. We're depending. We're being allowing ourselves to be led. And to be clear, it's all grace. Like, we're still very much in the atmosphere orb and hold of God's grace. Like, to put the metaphorical boat of our lives in the water is grace. To know that the Spirit is there is grace and is is a gift. It's a result of the gospel where our sinful nature, our fleshly desires, have been crucified. uh, And so we're no longer enslaved to them. So that brings us to the question of how. How do we walk by the Spirit? It's important to hear that the imperatives of the text that walk by the Spirit keep in step with the Spirit. It's not be more loving. Oh my goodness. And like I podcasted someone preaching on this, and it was like the most like nauseating thing. Like he did a five minute rant, ended his sermon like, Are you loving? Would people say you're loving? You should love more. And it was like, Super sad. Sorry, I had to get that out. Um, sorry, unhelpful. <laughs> It's talking about how do we live by the Spirit. This is not a call to be like, try to be more gentle, figure out which one is you're the worst at and work harder at it. The call is to walk by the Spirit. And the answer uh, to put before you is through your habits, through our habits. I want to bring this as practical as possible. I feel like it would be a misservice to say like, go, walk by the Spirit somehow. Specifically, when I say habits, I'm thinking about three areas what we do with our bodies and put into our bodies, the story that we place before our minds, and then the, the people that we spend time with. These are all areas where our habits are either going to help us put up a sail and let the Holy Spirit blow and transform us and make us bring these fruit about, where we can let us operate in the spirit, operate, spirit operating system or the flesh operating system. Or to use maybe a more familiar ch- churchy term, these are spiritual disciplines, which is, we've heard that term so much and there's so much baggage about it, but they're s- disciplines of the spirit. That's why we call them spiritual disciplines. They're ways of structuring our lives like a trellis so that the spirit can grow fruit. They're actual, real, concrete activities and habits uh, that uh, by themselves are worth nothing. They're, they're worthwhile like oh they're only effective if the spirit like a, like a boat you know uh, without the wind is just sitting there it only if the spirit shows up and does his work like take the bible for example you guys know that there are people there are bible scholars who are not christians they could probably know the bible better than you and i combined their entire career is studying and teaching the bible they don't believe in Jesus as their king. Like they're, not, they're not saved. Like the Bible itself can't change you. It's when the spirit makes it living and active, we begin to see fruit. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not a note taker, figure out a way to write these two words down as we, when we think about this walking by the spirit. Because this, the spiritual disciplines could be described as ways for us to be actively passive, which I realize is like a paradox or oxymoron or something like that. Um, but it's what I think it's what Paul is showing us here. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step by the Spirit. That's active. And then we will be led by Him and see Him produce fruit. So it's like when we think of engaging, like we, we, we do engage. There's some activity there. But it's basically a lot of work so that we can be still. We can be passive and let the Spirit do what only He can do. So... Um, if you've been around it all, you know this is a little bit of my hobby horse or whatever, so I'm trying to keep it short. We, we talked about this in our class uh, all winter for eight weeks in the Become Like Jesus class, and most of the teaching for that class is on our podcast if you want to go a little bit deeper into like, how, how the Spirit produces fruit through like real practices. But to land the plane, as uh, Pastor Mike says, I want to help us consider the disciplines in light of Paul's main point, which is that the Spirit leads us to fulfill the law by loving others. And consider how our habits affect our ability to love. The, example, the simple example is like when you're driving. Uh, when you're in a hurry, to what degree are you able to see the image of the, you know, the eternal God in the lives of your fellow drivers? <laughs> uh, like if, if I'm not hurried, I'm playing around with like trying to not be hurried, right? You, pastor Eugene says to be an unhurried pastor. So I'm playing around with it. Sometimes I can do it. And you know, I'll be in the slow lane. Someone's coming onto the freeway after you, child of God. You know, just like let them in there. But if, in a, if I'm in a hurry... It's, I want to be a Jedi, and I want to, like, use the force to fling their car, just like, I don't know, all the way to Indiana, or something like that. Uh, I've experienced it, and it seems like Paul is saying here, our relational capacity of our lives, it flows out of the degree to which our individual lives are under the order of the Spirit, are operating in the operating, uh, the direction of the Spirit. As Dallas Willard says, our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies Going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. So we like live the way people in the flesh are living, but then we try to like get some spirit fruit kind of stapled onto the tree. So I made a couple of cheesy graphics here, but the idea is that the the habits of our lives are going to root us into something. We can't not be rooted, right? Like we're branches. We either abide in the vine or we abide abide in something else. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, he prays for the church to be rooted and grounded in God's love. So we'll be rooted in either God's love or our self-driven striving. And and so consider the degree to which you'll be able to love others well in the spirit if your life was rooted in God's love through these habits. Uh, Silence and solitude. So it's a space to just be with God, to embody the truth that God loves you as you're just sitting there doing nothing, to let Scripture just soak in your brain, undistracted, seep deep into your soul, to let God speak to you about the anxieties and worries that, you, that we spend our lives running from with our busyness. And of course, Scripture, like having the story of God be before our minds, shaping it, like the, where that, that, that is more real to us than the newspaper. And simplicity, like embracing limits and how much we talk. So that we can hear from God and hear, listen to others. and it limits and it simpl- simplify our calendar, so we have time to be with people in unhurried ways. And compare those habits to, uh, to an alternative paradigm, uh, where like, we have relationships marked by the self, by selfishness, uh, where we, we live with distraction. And we, we, see, we see the list of the flesh here. like uh, we, we're distracted uh, by the fits of anger on Twitter. The envy of, envy of Instagram, the divisions and rivalries of the 24-hour news cycle, sexual morality of Netflix, if we don't fight it, even just like socially acceptable ways of being and socially acceptable things of putting uh, in front of our eyes, we can get hijacked in that, by things that make us scared and greedy and lustful and angry or hurry. All the things that we do, we idolize people's opinions, so we can't say no to them, and our calendars are too full, or exhaustion. We feel guilty if we take a rest or take time for ourselves, so we're showing up like resentful. Like, do you know how hard I work to be here? Like, You owe me so much, and we just try to, we're emotionally fragile and just try to muster up good behavior. So there's, this is meant to be like a tip of the iceberg. There's so much that we could explore, the, the time horizon for the stuff we're talking about, of developing a life, for decades of walking in the Spirit uh, is very long. We have a a lot that we can talk about together as a church family. But friends, there's good news. There's a power source that we can plug into that we can make.